What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We're going to preview the Pats and the Chiefs with my buddy Alex Gold from 610 Sports in Kansas City. Also, a little spoiler on that. Alex and I have something in common. We worked together in Texas for a couple of years. Of course, I'm from Massachusetts. He's from Kansas City. We're both home now, but I was there for Texas for a little bit. Alex was there. You're going to like this story. Both of us had something in common from our time when we were in Texas. And the main reason, I mentioned this the other day, but is this going to be a layup game for the Patriots to lose, right? And is this going to be a layup game for the Chiefs to win? I don't think so. So we'll ask Alex about that in just a little bit. Plus, as always, Jamie and I give you our picks for the week. We'll pick the Patriots game, give you a couple of other picks. Thanks to our friends at FanDuel. Of course, we do that each and every week. I need to get back on track with my parlay. Got a little arrogant last week after hitting a money leg parlay. I'm going back to the money leg parlay. And I got a couple of other things I'm cooking up. I got a Saturday parlay I've cooked up as well. Okay. But where we start is with the Celtics, is they sweep this little baseball series over the Cavaliers. They went on Thursday night, of course, after the win on Tuesday night. And I said, hey, you better respond and win again and learn from your mistakes, even though they won that game. And they did. They dominated the Cavaliers for most of the game. Although at one point you look up and it's like, how are the Cavs in this game? It's this third quarter issue the Celtics have had all season long, where entering tonight, they had been outscored by six points in the third quarter. They're 29th in offensive rating in the third quarter. But of course, they're able to overcome losing another third quarter tonight, and they were dominant in that fourth quarter. But the thing that stuck out to me more so than anything else in this game, and Tatum closed it out. I'll get to Tatum in just a little bit here. But it was Jalen Brown. And I did a whole thing on Sunday about Jalen Brown needing to be better. And I thought he set the tone early in this game. And these last two games, now granted, it's a really good matchup for Jalen, right? Because they have no wings that can cover Jalen or Jason Tatum, right? When we're talking about their best guy probably to do it is Okoro, but he's not great. Then you look at Struess. He can't really handle him. And then you think about a guy like 
Lavert, who is a DH. And and I know he had some points here and he's had some games against the Celtics, but man, that guy, it would aggravate me if he was on my team. If I was at the end of the first half, did you see that? He just tried to like ISO on Peyton Pritchard. He took a contested two with Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell on the court. Like, I wish I had the confidence that that guy has because he thinks he just has a green light. And maybe he does. But anyway, my point being is it's a really good matchup. And then what Tatum and Jalen will do in this one, too, especially with Mobley out. We talked about that on Tuesday, but you can get Jared Allen and switches. Tatum killed him. Jalen Brown killed him. And then you can get Mitchell and Garland on switches. And Mitchell's a bad defensive player. He came out of college as a good defensive player. He's not good. And Garland is just diminutive in stature. He has no chance against either one of those guys. So I say Jalen played really well. It was a good matchup for him. I gave him credit for dominating the matchup. That's what you want your player to do. And he certainly did in this game. But if you look at Jalen, the last two games, you go to Tuesday, he's 10 of 17 for 25 tonight. He's 10 of 20 for 22 points. He only took five threes in this game, which I actually like. He's at 6.8 on the season, which is 23rd. So I like those attempts coming down. And if you think about it, if he takes five a game, I'm fine with that. I'd much rather him be closer to five than seven. You think about like Franz Wagner, who of course we'll see tomorrow night for the Magic. He's a slasher, doesn't shoot the three well, like Jalen doesn't shoot the three well. He takes about five per game. I'd like Jalen to be in that range. And the thing that we saw in the past two games is something that Jalen did last year a lot. So if you look at the points in the paint, Tuesday he's at 16, tonight he's at 12. Only that 16 number... Only 16 players, or I should say only four players are north of 16 point paints per game this season. Jalen was at 16 on Tuesday, is at 12 tonight, which is a really good number. On the season, he's at 10.1, which is 29th. Last season, he was at 12 and a half, which was 13th. So that's a significant margin when you're losing almost two and a half points per game in the paint. I think Jalen should be at that 12 and a half to 13 number. And post-All-Star break last year, the reason I believe he can do it, he was at 15.5 which was fourth. So over the past two nights, we've seen more of that Jalen that we saw last season. And just running through some of the stuff, you can tell like first quarter, he wants to set the tone for the team. Early layup, 9-7, went right past Garland, then around Wade. He had a wing three, which was in rhythm. Those are the threes that don't mind Jalen taking. And then he drove, lobs it to Kristaps Porzingis, makes it 14-7. to he really had his fallaway game going against the smaller and inferior defenders. Like he hit a fallaway over Levert. Then he drove by Levert and dunked one down. And like I said, like he just abused Levert in this game. Hit a fallaway over Wade, another weak defender. Hit a corner three. Those are the threes you like Jalen to take in the corner. Drove right by Struess, who was like their big wing pickup in the offseason. He cut around Mitchell, or I should say he cut by Mitchell and got an easy opportunity from Tatum when Tatum found him. So in the first half, he finishes 8 of 11, 10 points in the paint. I mentioned the 12 in the game, 10 came in the first half. Then later on in the second half, had a turnaround on Allen. Then he drove on Allen, hit a fallaway, rebound at the end of the game. This kind of clinched it. He gets a rebound after a Tatum miss, finds Drew, makes it 109-102. So I thought it was a really good game from Jalen. The one thing that I thought at times earlier this season is he didn't feel him physically. And Jalen's best attribute is his physicality, right? He's extremely strong for his position. He's extremely explosive. I thought at times earlier this season, he didn't look as explosive, but it looks like he's finding that right now. So this is a good sign for Jalen Brown. The other thing I would say is, if you look at the attempts in the restricted area, he was at 5.8 coming into tonight, which is 21st. 
and he shot about 64.5%, which is not a great number. Last year, he was 12th at 6.4, and he shot 70.8%. So I'd like that number to tick up a little bit, and tonight he took seven shots in the restricted area, which is a really good number. You love to see that. Guys with seven or more attempts in the restricted area per game this season, Giannis, Zion, Davis, Embiid, LeBron, and Clint Capella. So it's basically all big guys and LeBron. And if you think about getting back to Franz Wagner, he's at 6.6 per game. So I think Jalen should be definitely over that five. I'd like him to be at six and a half or higher in terms of the attempts in the restricted area because that's his best attribute is make the defense feel you. Get into the paint area. And we saw that in this game tonight. And just as a team, the Celtics total for the game was 28 attempts in the restricted area in the first half, 12 of 15. So they made an effort to get into the paint, get to the basket early in this game. And if you look at that number 15, obviously that means you're on pace for 30. Only three teams take north of 30 shots per game in the restricted area. The Celtics are just 21st at 24.6. So much better in terms of attacking the basket. Now, again, part of this is matchup. Let's see what happens against Orlando because the point of attack defense for Cleveland is just putrid. They have no good defenders at the point of attack. Now, Mobley's a great defender in terms of his versatility and as a big man, but they don't have point of attack defenders. So it makes it a little bit easier to get downhill. The Magic, of course, a really good defensive team. We'll see if this carries over to the two-game series they have coming up against the Magic. And the other thing I would say is when they do get to the basket like this, it gets them better threes. So in the first half, they go 8 of 17 from deep, 47.1%. Because And they did not shoot as well in the second half. But the point is, when you're driving and you're constantly putting pressure on the rim, it opens up your three-point game. And we certainly saw this in that game. Or I, said we, or I should say, we certainly saw this in the first half tonight. Now, the other thing I would mention is just with Jalen, the drives. And we saw him now. The tracking data hasn't finalized for tonight. But we definitely saw it in that game on Tuesday where in his 13 drives, he's 6 of 7, 85.7%, 14 points. Only two players this season average more than 14 points per game off their drives. Jalen was at 14 the other day. I'm not saying he has to live in that territory, but if you look at the season, he's at 9.9 drives per game compared to 11.4 last year. So down by a significant margin, about a drive and a half per game. And the field goal percentage is at 50% this season compared to 57.9% last year. 6.1 points per game off of drives this season compared to 8.8 last year. So he's down by a significant amount. And we've seen over the past two nights, he has made a concerted effort to get downhill, drive the basketball. This is the type of Jalen Brown that is an all-star. This is the type of Jalen Brown that's an all-NBA player. It's the Jalen Brown we saw earlier this season where he's settling for too many threes. He's settling for too many jumpers. And sometimes he hijacks the offense. This Jalen Brown that we've seen over the past couple of nights... I give him credit, especially after my pod on Sunday. He's playing like the Jalen Brown we saw at the end of last season, and that's what you like to see as a Celtics fan. So hopefully he sort of turned a corner here after, I don't want to say a tough start to the season because he's still one of the better players on the team, but an underwhelming start for his standards, so to speak. So I hope these two games are the start of something, and we see that carry over to the Magic game on Friday night. More on that in a second, though, because Jalen has not had the best of times against the Magic. All right. I also thought it was another awesome Porzingis game where he goes for 18 points. He's now taken 15 free throws over the last two games. And that's big for this team that he gets to the free throw line because the Celtics as a team, they've struggled in terms of getting to the free throw line, right? Where if you look at it on the season and in the first half, he took six free throws. The Celtics are 19th in free throw attempts per game at 21.8. We talk about getting to the basket. They also don't get to the free throw line. We continue to talk about that on the show. 
Um, but tonight he gets there a total, as we mentioned, of nine times, or excuse me, yeah, six six free throws in that first half. And if you look at the totality of the game, he what? So seven free throws in this game tonight. He had what nine the other night. So this is something where he's continuing to get to the free throw line, which is obviously, as we said, imperative. You look at like the leaders across the league, you're never going to be like Philly at 28.4%. But I think with Tatum, and I'll get to him in a second, and with Porzingis, the Celtics should be able to be at least in the top 15 in terms of free throw attempts per game. In the first half, Porzingis finishes with 15, four of six from the field. He had a nice offensive rebound for a slam. He drove by Niang to make it 57 to 44 later on in this game. But one of the things that stuck out to me too in this game was... He had a nice cut to the basket where he gets an easy opportunity off the cut. He has been absolutely dangerous as a cutter. He doesn't do it very often, but we saw it in this game tonight where he had this nice cut to the basket and finishes easily over the defender on the season entering tonight, 17 of 19 on cuts, 89.5%. And he's at 1.66 points per possession off of cuts. That is just an incredible number. And if you think about it too, it was a pass he caught from Drew, but this is something where the Celtics and Jalen did this well tonight too, where if they see a double team, they can just cut. We saw this tonight from Porzingis. So that's something I'm interested going forward. If we see more of Jalen in particular, but also a little bit of Porzingis, because for a big man, he's actually a really good cutter, has a good feel for it. And then the other thing I would just say about Porzingis in this game is we continue to see like when the offense sometimes gets stuck and it didn't really tonight, you can just throw the ball into him, which is a luxury that the Celtics didn't have last year when it's like, all right, the offense is getting bogged down. Hey, let's give it to the guy that's seven foot two. The other thing I would say is he had this unbelievable play where they actually basically called a curl for him. He came off a curl and drove to the basket and got an and one. I'm like, or excuse me, he just got fouled on the curl, but you don't run a curl for a seven foot two guy. They ran a curl for Porzingis. That's how skilled he is. So I just I really enjoy watching him work out there and I enjoy some of the stuff that Joe Missoula is now trying with him, like running a curl for a seven foot two guy who would think of that. Right. All right. And then with Tatum still struggling with the three ball, but you look up at the end of the game and he has 27 and 10. I don't think he was great for the majority of the game, even though he had 27 and 10. And then he takes over in the fourth quarter. Right. The big thing for me with Tatum is eight free throws again tonight. He hit six of them. If you look at the last 10 games, he's now taken 86 free throws. Uh, easy math on that, 8.6 per game. That's an outstanding number. Only Giannis and Embiid take more than eight per game, or more than 8.6 per game, I should say. So, And Trey Young's rated 8.6. So that's a great number. Like early on in the season, Tatum was not getting to the free throw line as he has in the past, or not as much as he did last year. Now he's getting back to getting to the free throw line all the time. The beginning of the season, not so much. Now he's living at the free throw line. And especially if you're going to struggle from three-point territory, get to the line. And I really think Tatum can live at the line based on, as we mentioned, the extra 12 pounds that he put on in the offseason and his ability to just back down smaller defenders. So that's a big thing. Just running through some of his stuff. He gets to the free throw line where he goes through Struess. And this is interesting because he was trying to get a switch onto a smaller defender where he called up Drew and he was trying to get Garland on him. He didn't get Garland on him. And he's like, ah, just fuck it. I'll just go through Struess and he gets the free throw line. I love that. And one thing I've noticed about Tatum, when he gets the big on him, like Jared Allen, who is giving Tatum space, what Tatum does with those guys is he will get the step back three. He did can a three over him where I know Tatum has not been great shooting the three ball, especially lately. 
But when he has a big on him, I'm okay with that because a lot of times the big is giving him space because they're scared of the drive. When it's a smaller defender, I don't like when he settles for the step back three because those guys you should just body up and go through. The big guys, sometimes what they're going to do is they're going to give you that opportunity to take a three because they don't want you to drive by. And we saw in this game tonight against Allen, hit a couple of threes over him. He got a Levert switch, hit a little jumper over him. That uh, that transition dunk basically on Levert was awesome to make it 78-76. Hit a nice mid-ranger to make it 92-87. Then he hit a three over Mitchell. He blocked Garland. That was a huge play in the game where it was 95-87. He blocked Garland, went up with him. He almost baited him into taking, trying to take the layup because there was a two-on-one for Cleveland and he kind of hung on the other side and then he comes over and he blocks Garland, and it led to a Drew layup the other way to make it 95-87. So great defense on that particular play. So I thought it was a nice Tatum game. I really did. He, even though he didn't start well, and at times it felt like, you know, he had some sloppy turnovers in this game, he closed it out. So I have to say it was a good game, even though I didn't think for the majority of the game he was outstanding. He closes out, and he finishes with the most points on the team. I thought it was an awesome Al game, where the only thing that worries me is he's probably not going to play tomorrow, right? Because he doesn't play him back-to-back, so he's probably not going to play in this Magic game. And I'm like... You could really use Al against the size of Orlando and he's not going to be there in that game tomorrow, which kind of is irritating to me. Like I and I know like Cornette was not playing in this game. He's dealing with abductor soreness or whatever it was. But I would have thought about City. if you're not going to play Al tomorrow and look, maybe I'll be wrong and he'll finally play back to back. I don't really want him to play back to backs, but I would have sat him out tonight and played him in that game tomorrow just because of the size of Orlando, because you could certainly use him. But he was awesome. Seven points, 10 boards, three assists, also had that block, which was an ISO block (laughs) on Garland. This is something Al has been incredible at, where these smaller guys, and we saw it against the Hawks, Trey Young's trying to take him off the dribble, it doesn't work. Garland tried to do it in this game as well, and Al was able to essentially block him, and then the Celtics get a layup down the other way with uh, Jason Tatum. So (laughs) I I just love it, watching Al like, When these guards get Al sort of one-on-one, he does a really good job at defending them, at least making it difficult for them. Nice overall floor game for Drew, who finishes a team high plus 11, and he's 7 of 11 from the floor, finishes with 15 points. I thought he was just solid in this game. The one thing I notice about Drew, it feels like when he gets bigger defenders on him, he like backs them in. And it's almost like... Drew, it feels like it's easier for him to score in the post against bigger defenders than smaller defenders. Maybe this is just me exaggerating this, but I really feel that way. I don't know what it is. Like, it feels like maybe it's just the craftiness, if you will. And then Hauser in this game. Hauser plays 18 minutes. He has nine points. He's a plus nine. He's three of three from the floor, hit all three of his threes. One of the things that I've noticed that's different this year from Hauser compared to last year is the relocation. So basically, like, if there's an offensive rebound, he's sprinting to a certain spot. So, for example, tonight, there was an offensive rebound. He sprints to the wing. They find him, hits a three, makes it 30 to 20. Then there is another offensive rebound. He relocates to the corner, hits a three. And then later on in the game, where this is when you know they really believe in Hauser, out of timeout, or out of the timeout, Missoula designs a play for Hauser to get the shot. He cans it, makes it 83-75. That's when you know they really believe in the player. And why wouldn't you? The guy's one of the best shooters in the league. That's just the reality. But that's interesting to me to see just the movement that he's doing. Because last year, he never really shot off movement. And it's not like he's going to come off a ton of screens this year. But the relocation stuff, that makes you really dangerous when you can shoot off the move like that. And we saw that from Hauser in particular in this game tonight. All right. So that means the magic, man. Coming up 
on Friday night and then on Sunday. They take care of the Cavs, but the Magic are more serious, right? Because they're a really good defensive team. And I believe they match up really well with the Celtics because of the size. Like you think about their wings with Paolo Bencaro, with Franz Wagner, and then Isaac does a really good job off the bench, or at least he did in that game against Tatum a couple of weeks ago, where he's really good coming off the bench. Suggs is a pain in the ass to play against. I know he's been dealing with injuries. Cole Anthony coming off the bench can certainly fill it up. So they're not a great offensive team, but they're a really good defensive team, and they play hard. And I just, this is going to be a back-to-back for the Celtics. I want to see how they match that energy of this team coming up on Friday night and then into Sunday. So if you look at it last season, the Celtics 1-3 against the Magic, a 106.3 offensive rating, a 111.5 defensive rating, so minus 5.3 net. This game that they played earlier this year on the 24th of November, a 96 offensive rating, which was the worst of the season. This is also the game that Porzingis went down, but he played in the first half, got hurt in the third quarter. The rebounding percentage, 41.9% worst of the season. Minus 15.9 net rating, worst of the season, 7 of 29 from deep, 24.1%, worst of the season, and they gave up 21 second chance points to the Magic, tied for the worst of the season. So that was, I believe it was the most, or the worst game they played. Like, they played Minnesota, that game went to overtime, they've had other losses, the Pacers lost. This one, I just felt like they were utterly dominated in this particular game, so I'm interested to see how they sort of respond in this one. Tatum was not great in the first game, just 7 of 16, 0 of 3. He did have 26 points, got to the free throw line, but was not great in that game. If you look at his last four games against the Magic, going back to last season because he missed one of them, he has been efficient, 51.3%, 34.5% from three, not great, but still you have the 51.3% from the field. His last four games against the Magic, he's still getting it done, 30.8 points per game. The guy that has struggled against the Magic, and we'll see if this changes in this game on Friday night and into Sunday as well, Jalen. In the first game, he was bad. Six of 22, two of eight from three, 18 points. Jalen against the Magic, his last five games, 37 of 102, which is 36.3%, 14 of 45 from deep, which is 31.1%, and 21.2 points per game. So Jalen has had his struggles against the Magic over the past two years. He's coming off, I think, his best two-game stretch of the season. And I know he had some big scoring games earlier this season. The Pacers come to mind. The Wizards come to mind. But this is against a quality opponent, even if the Cavaliers are not great defending wings. I do feel like this is a really nice stretch that Jalen can sort of build off. So I'm really excited to see how he responds against this Magic team and how this Celtics team responds. Because this is a team that needs to be taken seriously, right? We know you have the Bucks in the East. We know you have the 76ers in the East. The Magic are on the come up. They're a young team. They're hungry. They play really well defensively, as we mentioned earlier. I just want to see how they match up, and I want to see the Celtics take it to the Magic. Like, this would be a real quality win if the Celtics can get it done in this game coming up on Friday night and into Sunday. Like, I can't wait. This, to me, is like a really difficult matchup for the Celtics, and I cannot wait to see how they respond. All right, a lot more to get into. Coming up next, my buddy Alex Gold from 610 in Kansas City will join us to preview the Pats and the Chiefs. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets when your first $5 money line bet wins. All right, and I'm looking at two games on Sunday. I like the Niners to cover a big number. I know it's big, 12 and a half. That game is in Arizona. It's inside. The Niners will play fast there. So I like the Niners to cover 12 and a half against a really bad Cardinals team. I would like the Cardinals to win from a Patriots perspective, but I think the Niners cover that 12 and a half. And I also like the Rams to cover six and a half there at home against the Commanders. The Commanders are 
really struggling right now. That's a team that's in competition to get into that top three with the Patriots for a draft pick. And I was impressed with the Rams and their loss last week against the Ravens. So I like the Rams to cover that six and a half against the Commanders. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use and there's so many different ways to bet. There's live same game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. Dive into the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be 21 plus in president select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now, Alex Gold, the host of Cody and Gold on 610 Sports in Kansas City. My old buddy, we worked in Houston for a couple of years together. Alex, what's going on, man? How are you? Yeah, no, it's great to see you and talk. Yeah, what, five plus years ago, I think you and I were working together. Uh, down, I can't, crazy, it's been five years already, but glad to see things are going good for you. And boy, things, uh, boy, things have changed, man, just with uh, the, the two teams we're talking about in the last five years. That's for sure. Likewise, man. And we're both back home. You're back where you're from. I'm back where I'm from in Massachusetts. And I think we're we also share this in common. I think we were two. Both of us got robbed at gunpoint when we were living in Texas. <laughs> so we pulled oh that my back. Gosh. Yeah, I forgot you did as well. Yes. In Houston. In, yours was in Houston, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I tell that story all the time uh, to people that ask, like, the, you know, they're like, oh, how was your time in Houston? And look, I know you can, you know, crime happens everywhere. But still, that's like one of the first things I say. And yeah, yeah, the 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 apartment complex uh, parking lot. That was that was not a fun night. Yeah, mine was at an ATM. I I say it too. Like when people ask me, "What do you think of Houston?" I'm like, I really liked it a lot. Outside of, I was there for Hurricane Harvey, which obviously that oh. sucked. I mean, that was a huge tragedy. And from my own perspective, couldn't go anywhere for essentially a week. You're just like locked down in your apartment. And I got robbed at gunpoint. But other than that, I really liked my time <laughs> in Houston. <laughs> so and, you know, there's always, I feel like anybody in radio or, or sports media and content creation, like everybody's got a wild story about their their path and things that happen along the way. I mean, yeah, whether it's in, in Houston and in, in getting robbed or like my first job was in in Wichita. I uh, A coworker, unfortunately, got murdered at a radio station. I mean, there's just wild oh. stuff that has happened along the way and you know it's yeah it, you can't you never know what's going to happen in some of the, the the spots in the past everybody's got a crazy media story i feel like no doubt i mean that's sad there but yeah wichita i remember for a couple of years there the wichita state shockers they were really <laughs> the fred van fleet that group that's of guys right. made a big run one of those years so yeah that's that was a good team for a couple of years all right so before we get into this patch chiefs game I got to ask, going back to last week, of course, the whole Kadarius Tony situation. And I felt like Pat Mahomes' approval rating was perfect before last week. Like, it's very difficult to dislike Pat Mahomes. He doesn't do anything that would make you dislike him, right? Like, Aaron Rodgers, that guy's easy to dislike. But with Mahomes, how much of that conversation did you guys have last week on your, or this week, I should say, on your show? And how much of it was people are mad about the call, or, hey, I think we're looking over some of the issues that this team had in that game. What was it more of? Yeah. So, you know, the, there was a, I think on Twitter, if people just judged it off of the minority of fans and, and said, this is how the entire chiefs fan base feels on Twitter. I think that was a miscalculation. Like the majority of people on social media uh, were, were certainly siding with the comments post game from Andy Reid and, and Mahomes, where they were saying it was not only necessarily a bad call, but just 
hey, why didn't you get a warning? And I, I took a lot of heat here locally. I was I was not in the ma- majority. I got crushed on social media here because um, you know you're you're you, you if you're a Chiefs fan, you go to a game and you drive home, and on the radio you're hearing Andy Reid blame the officials, and everybody just assumes that that 100 has to be the case. And uh, spoiler, sometimes you know coaches can be wrong uh, uh, and players can be wrong as well. And so um, I, I think initially it started. Um, as the the wrong call, and then people admitted that the call was correct, but that hey, you know, they should have been warned. Um, and and so I I think it was absolutely the right call. I, I really think the mistakes that have happened obviously are the bigger problem with this football team being eight and five right now. Uh, and as far as like the Mahomes and and the approval rating and character, that part is where I I do think it's been kind of crazy this week um, and ridiculous. You know, if we want, people want to complain about how they were wrong for saying the call was incorrect. That's one thing, but I didn't think Mahomes handled himself poorly. I really don't like he apologized uh, for the brief exchange with Josh Allen. If there was any criticism, that's the one moment where he didn't say great game or whatever. Instead, he was emotional, but him blowing up on the officials on the sideline. I mean, you guys are, uh, you're, you're a Boston guy. Like yeah. Tom Brady blew up on officials plenty uh, in his career. So I, I think anybody he saying chased that him down the tunnel. Yeah, like they, they lost respect for Mahomes because of that. I think that's absolutely absurd. I think there were people that were waiting for that one moment to jump on Mahomes. People tried to start making it personal. And like when you're winning games uh, and when everybody's talking about you, either the quarterback or they're talking about your tight end and Taylor Swift, people are, are you know, waiting to find that moment. Um, and I think that's what happened in large part, too. Yeah. And for me, like the Mahomes situation, he apologized to Josh Allen, as you said, like I didn't really have that big of an issue with it. The the thing that stuck out to me about his whole thing was I thought it was hyperbolic when he's saying that play is lost to history. This is one of the greatest tight ends of all time. I'm like, yeah, I mean, he's got enough highlights. Like we're, we're not going to be robbed of this. Like, like, come on, like it, we're, we're going to be fine. Speed, you mentioned Taylor Swift. So what was that like when it started? Like you're just covering the Chiefs and now like this news is breaking like, hey, uh, Travis Kelsey is dating Taylor Swift. Like, was that like a week worth of shows? Oh yeah, no. Initially, it was great content for us. It really was because everybody was nobody was sick of it yet, you know. And, and everybody thought it was a cool thing. And Kansas City's being discussed, and she's in Kansas City, and it just it was. And, and Travis Kelsey, obviously, the success of their podcast has blown everything up more as well. So no, we we had a ton of fun with it. You know, overall for me, it's like. Why should I not think it's fun and like it? Like if there are two people that are into each other and like each other, like why 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 should I hate on that? And so that's how I viewed it. But yeah, for the first week or two, it was a lot of content. It certainly uh, settled down. You know, we 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 don't. You know, there was a point for two weeks where it was every day an update. Like now, we're not updating any little thing that happens anymore. Um, but yeah, it's 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 been fun. I mean, really, a lot of people in Kansas City the last couple of years have enjoyed the national attention. And now kind of putting Casey on the map, whether it's the Super Bowls, the NFL drafting here, and then now Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, you know, are living together somewhat uh, part of the year or part of the time, I should say, in, you know, a suburb of Kansas City, like five minutes from where I live, which is hilarious to me. So, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And Bailey Zappi is hearing it from the Swifties this week because he's not the biggest fan. Of yeah, Taylor Swift. he's got to be careful, man. You don't want to get them fired up. I know. I felt bad for him because it was like an innocent comedy. He's just basically saying, I don't really listen to that genre of music and it was like you should have just said you love her man you should have just said her music is it's it's really tough to like dislike her i mean she's the biggest star in the world right now so if he could go back in time i bet he would have made just said yeah i really do like her music even if he really doesn't all right so getting away from the swift part of this all juju smith schuster has been a massive disappointment for the patriots the one game that he played well in the Patriots didn't want him to play well in that game because they won against the Steelers and we're trying to get like one of the first two draft picks here at New England, Alex. So 
But from a Chiefs perspective, like he was pretty good for them last year. Do you think they missed Juju? And maybe not this version of Juju. And maybe it's more of the knee situation than anything else. But has there been talk about, hey, they should have kept Juju? Absolutely. Anything wide receiver related has been on the table this year. That's how bad it's been in Kansas City with these wide receivers that are leading the league in drops. And the thought that preseason heading into camp that Kadarius Tony, the team was saying, was going to be their number one wide receiver. That's been another disaster for this team. Marquez Valdez-Scantling has regressed. He's having his worst year in the NFL. We all know the big drop in the Philly game uh, is the, the highlight of that. And then a guy like Sky Moore hasn't progressed. And so everybody's trying to say, like, is it just Juju Smith-Schuster's absence that has caused these struggles? I think you, you said it right, though, because uh, the Chiefs kind of knew the knee was a problem for Juju. And that's why, you know, they would have had him back on a pretty team-friendly deal, I still believe. But they were worried about the knee. Um, and, and obviously what we've seen from Juju this year, just completely different player, even if he played well last week against Pittsburgh and, and maybe he plays well against Kansas City on Sunday as well. But he he was impactful for them, no doubt, last year. I mean, he, he was an injury away. I missed a game. Otherwise, he's a thousand yard receiver for them last season. He was that guy opposite Kelsey that they could count on on third downs. And that's what they're missing. Like if that's the one thing that you could tie Juju into, he was a the guy they counted on outside of Kelsey on third downs and first down conversions. They really don't have that guy. Rasheed Rice is developing into that, and that's why we've seen the snaps go up significantly for the rookie, Rasheed Rice. But Kelsey's having to work harder than ever. I mean, he's getting double team and triple team. You know, People are saying he looks old. I think he's just having to work harder in large part as well. That's been part of the problem. They just don't have another guy that you know can, uh, can catch the football for starters on a consistent basis. Yeah, well, and Rice, I was looking at this, so – Last three games, 107 yards, 64 yards, 72 yards. It seems like he's really coming on. And if you look at just receivers, he's third among qualifiers in yak per reception, yet he's the third lowest in average depth of target at 4.9, right? Like he's a yak guy. So, and if you look at Mahomes' numbers, I kind of, they're still really good. Like he's still the best quarterback in the world. It's just, I looked at it sort of similar to Brady in 2006 when the receivers were gone and Brady in 2018 when Gronk was getting old and they let Brandon Cooks or they traded Brandon Cooks, who was good for them in 17. Brady won the MVP in 17. So his numbers were down across the board because he didn't have the weapons. And the Brandon Cooks one was, hey, you can throw the ball down the field. So is that what they're missing, too? It's just like because it doesn't really feel like they have the, those explosive plays where they're number one in the NFL and yak, which you would you expect from a team like Kansas City, but you'd also expect the explosive plays. Is that the biggest thing they're missing? Like outside of Kelsey, they don't really have that type of player? Absolutely. There is no deep passing game for this team. I mean, the one thing that you were hoping to still have from MVS was the deep passing. That's why he's still getting those routes. I mean, we saw it in the Packers game. Uh, we saw it in the Eagles game. And he's actually gotten open on some of them. He hasn't caught the ball, right? That's the issue. And, and so they have no deep passing game whatsoever. And some of that is how defenses are playing them. Um, but if you're a defense, think about it. Outside of Kelsey and now Rice a little bit, who who are you worried about that he's going to throw the ball deep down the field to? I mean, MVS isn't catching. Uh, Kadarius Tony, they really haven't utilized in that way. Sky Moore has become a non-factor for this team. Justin Watson is probably their best deep threat right now. And that was a guy that was a fifth wide receiver for the Bucs a couple of years ago. And the Chiefs, at times this year, have asked him to be a number one or two. Now, they've they've held him back here the last couple of weeks. Um, but they had him getting 10 targets like three or four weeks ago, which is insane. He's not a number one wide receiver. There's a reason why he is who he is, which is fine. But um, they asked way too much of him. And yeah, the, the deep passing game is the biggest problem for this team. It just doesn't exist. And that's why when they have one mistake 
on these 13 play drives, teams are like, hey, we'll we'll let you take 13, 14 plays to go down the field in 80 yards because we're going to be convinced that you're going to throw a pick or you're going to have a crucial holding call once you get to the goal line. And that's exactly what's happened. I mean, the Packers game, really, you're talking about one interception that ended the game for them. They were moving the ball, one pick, or it's a first and goal at the five, and all of a sudden there's a holding call. Like That's been the story this entire season for the Chiefs, going back to week one. Yeah, it's interesting. And you start to think about going back to the trading deadline. Did you think that they would add a receiver at that point in time? I think now, like, Kendrick Bourne is a free agent. He's going to be coming off an ACL injury. Like, he, he would be a good fit for them next year because he's a good route runner, good after the catch and all that. But did you think they'd add a receiver? So this has been the story through as the years progressed is what they didn't do in the offseason. As much as the trade line, trade deadline, yes, but the offseason, they they got greedy. The Brett Veach, the general manager, while they've built this great defense and there's no such thing as a perfect 53-man roster, you know, there was opportunities maybe to bring in a DeAndre Hopkins. Jacoby Myers was, of course, out there who's now in Las Vegas. Uh, and they didn't. And I think part of that issue was with Chris Jones when they were working on his deal. Remember, he set out week one. He was sitting in a suite week one against oh, yeah. the Lions. They did not have that deal done. And I think that really held them up uh, to make some financial decisions at the wide receiver position. And to answer your question about the trade deadline, fans here absolutely wanted them to go make a trade. But I think we did see that no wide receivers outside of, I think, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who went up to Detroit, yeah. got traded. So it, people forget sometimes it takes two to tango with these trades. Yeah, they, of course, could have used another wide receiver, as we've seen how this season has played out. But I don't know if there was a deal to be made. I mean, there were unrealistic names that were being thrown out by fans here in Kansas City. Go get Terry McLaurin. You know, go get Hollywood Brown. I don't think either of those guys were truly available. And if they were you were going to have to give up a first-round pick and some, and I just don't think they want to jeopardize the long-term window that this organization has right now. Well, and they already won a Super Bowl without Ty, uh, without Tyree Kill, but how often does that come up? Because, I mean, you could make an argument. I think Monday night actually helped his case. Like, if uh, no somebody that's not a quarterback is going to win an MVP, I thought he was helped by having to lead that game, and I, I know he tried to come back and all that, but how often is that talked about there locally? Yeah, it gets brought up plenty. Yeah, I mean, even if I talk to people uh, that are not in Kansas City, I'll get texts and people are like, oh, you know, if they just had Tyreek Hill. Look, obviously, <laughs> if they had Tyreek Hill, would they be a better offense? Of course, 100% they would be. But there's more nuance to the conversation. One, you said it, they won a Super Bowl without him. And and so for me, at that point, like just eight months ago, proved that, you know, you, you, you can do that without a special player. Um, but they also wouldn't have some of these pieces. They got draft picks back in that trade. Uh, they likely don't have Trip McDuffie uh, if it's not for that trade. Um, so people forget this defense wouldn't be as good if they still had Tyreek Hill. There'd be no question they wouldn't be able to afford Chris Jones if they had Tyreek Hill still on this roster. So I know it's easy to look back now and say, well, man, if you just had a top five wide receiver, you guys would be perfectly fine as an offense. Uh, I just think there's more nuance to the conversation needed. Yeah, no doubt. And we hate the fact that he's playing for the Miami Dolphins right now because the Patriots. <laughs> Although I will say this, Christian Gonzalez, their rookie corner, actually handled them in week two. Now, unfortunately, Gonzalez hurt, went down right? for the yeah. year. Yeah, he went down for the year, but he was really good against Tyreek Hill. All right, so Pacheco missed last week. He missed practice on Thursday as we're recording. He's ninth in rushing yards per game. He's tied for 15th in 10-yard rushes he also has 33 receptions last week Clyde Edwards-Alaire former first round pick 11 for 39 which obviously not very effective McKinnon is old and really not utilized that much and the Patriots are actually like this is one of the things they do well they're number one in the NFL in rush EPA they're number one in the NFL in rush success rate and they're number one in opponents yards per carry 
So, I mean, how are you feeling about Pacheco? Do you think he's going to play? And if not, I mean, it doesn't feel like the Chiefs will be able to run on the Patriots if that's the case, if he doesn't go. Yeah, I don't believe he's playing in this game. This is the same kind of practice schedule as they had a week ago. Uh, and usually Andy's held uh, pretty strict on his policy. If you don't, you know, if you're not practicing during the week, you're not playing. I mean, he's okay. one of those coaches that really view it that way. And so I would be stunned, honestly. Uh, one, just because of that policy, but then also, uh, with all due respect to the Patriots, I think the Chiefs are better off making sure he's 100% healthy yeah. for later in the year or the postseason. So I think that's part of it. Um, and you're no doubt, you're, you're correct. Clyde Edgelaire, uh, while he ran hard last week, certainly wasn't as effective. They did also get away from the running game when they were trailing uh, the Bills in the second half. I think the Chiefs will have to get it done through the air against New England uh, in this game, because as you you said, uh, with how effective the Patriots are against the run, I think where McKinnon actually can help this team, though, despite his age, is in the passing game. You know, if we're talking about not having weapons in the passing game, I still think that's his greatest asset to this team. Give them some explosiveness because they don't have a whole lot of that. Get a screen player too. And that's where I think McKinnon is uh, most valuable to this team, not really on the ground. Yeah, makes sense. And so if you look at the other side of the ball, the Patriots offense, it's been pretty much putrid. Now, it's been a little bit better after they benched Mac Jones and brought in Zappi, but Zappi had a horrible interception in that Steelers game. Had a great first half, threw three touchdowns, but after halftime, he wasn't great. And the Chiefs, I was looking at it, number one in pressure rate, third in sacks, sixth in passing yards a game against, but they have been run on a little bit, 20th in opponents rushing yards, they're 31st in rush EPA, 23rd in rush success rate. Now, Ramondre being down obviously hurts because he really was looking like the old Ramondre the three weeks prior to him going down with the injury. Zeke just 3.1 yards per carry last week. But can you run on this Chiefs team? Like, I would feel good if it's Ramondre, but now that it's Zeke, I don't know. Like, is that an issue for this team? It has been, but it's been an issue when there's a team that you're you're maybe fearful of the passing attack. And so I uh, I wonder if the Chiefs are saying, okay, we're really not too concerned about Juju or any of these other uh, passing options that they can really key in on the running game. And maybe that's how they stop where they've gotten beat is when you're worried about weapons on the outside and teams have said, no, we're going to run the ball. And Buffalo, I thought made a mistake, even though they won last week, they got away from the run for a little bit, which really gave the chiefs a break. So yes, you can run on the chiefs defense. That is definitely the area you can have success. I just wonder if the chiefs are able to really focus in on that area more and bring guys in the box because of uh, not really being worried about Douglas and Juju, for example, in the in, in the passing attack. But th this defense has been fantastic against teams' number one wide receivers. Like, Legereus Sneed is going to get paid this offseason. I don't know if it'll be in Kansas City or elsewhere. They might end up franchise tagging him. They have shut down everybody's one. Like, Stephon Diggs last week didn't do anything. Tyreek Hill was held to 60 yards. Jefferson was held to 28 yards, I think it was, or 38 yards. I mean, they A.J. Brown, even in a win for the Eagles, was held to, like, 20 yards. They will shut down your team's one. We, we did kind of joke this week here locally. It's like, I don't know what that means for the defense this week. I don't know. What's, who's the one to shut down in all seriousness? Yeah, I don't know. Like, Demario Douglas is coming back. He's a six-round rookie who's been effective. Juju had the big game last week. Devontae Parker stinks. I still don't understand why they extended that guy. I mean, he's last in the NFL in separation. So it's a good question. I don't know. It's a week to week. It was, I mean, honestly, their, their best receiver was Kendrick Bourne. Now, last season, they decided they were they were going to put him in Matt Patricia's doghouse and not play him, but they don't have a legitimate number one option, which brings me to the fan duel line at eight and a half. Like, so from both sides of this, I am looking at 
this where we want the Patriots to lose. I'm pretty convinced the Patriots are going to lose this game. But am I going to be sweating out this eight and a half? And on the flip side of that, are you going to be sweating out a win? Like, are you nervous at all about this game or do you feel confident? Because I got to get your your take on this because I want this team to lose. And last week we're watching the Steelers game and I'm like caught up for a second. Like, oh, this is nice. Like they're they're moving the football. And then I'm thinking, wait, they may screw up their draft pick. Do you think this would be an easy win for the Chiefs? I think it's going to be an ugly game. Honestly, I think oh. this is an ugly game. Um, when the number was at nine and a half, I really love the Patriots at plus nine and a half. And as you said, it's eight and a half and even seven and a half in some other spots. I think the only way I would take the Chiefs to cover in this game is if I teased them down. So, you know, I, I tease them down to a one or two point favorite. Otherwise, I do think the Patriots keep it close enough. It's the Patriots defense, I think, will have success. We all know the issues with the Chiefs offense. They should not be, and that's why the line has gone down, they should not be nine and a half or 10 point favorites over anybody right now with how ineffective this offense has been. Yes, they move the ball, but they shoot themselves in the foot. And it's not like this is week four where you can say, oh, they'll snap out of it. Like this is week 15. Um, and so I, I think the Chiefs uh, will allow this game to be close. On the flip side, I think the defense of Kansas City will be able to shut down the Patriots for the most part. So I think this could be a game where it's the fourth quarter, six or seven minutes left, and it's Kansas City's got 17, and maybe the Patriots have like seven, and it's a question of whether or not they get a garbage time touchdown, or maybe it's even a little bit closer than that. So I will not be betting Kansas City minus seven and a half, I'll tell you that. I know you're a gambling guy, though. So do you like anything from a gambling perspective? Like my number one pick has something to do with Juju. I'm going to give that out in a little bit when I pick the game. But I also like Mahomes over 34 and a half attempts just because I think if Pacheco's not playing and he's been over that eight times this season. So I like that. Is there anything you're looking at in this game that you like from a gambling angle? Yeah, that's a good that's a good play. I I really like that. I agree with you on the logic behind that. I I think a couple things, you know, I I haven't seen the latest numbers that are out, but I I still think at some point last week was McKinnon. I like an anytime touchdown for for Clyde, even if they're going to struggle in the run. I still think they will be able to at some point have an opportunity for Clyde Edwards Lair to to get in the end zone. Um, He was running extremely hard last week. He's got a lot to prove as he's a free agent. He's trying to play for a contract somewhere else, most likely uh, next year. And then, as I told you, like I. I think the only bet on the spread, I, I would tease the Chiefs down in a teaser. Um, and then the total, 37 points, under 37. It's the lowest total in a game Mahomes has started in his career. The other lowest was 41 against the Jets. So I think this game goes under. Like I was at 17-10 type of game, 17-14 type of game. Um, I just don't think the Chiefs are putting up 24, 28 points. And to me, that's what it would take to go over because I don't think the Patriots are scoring more than like 13 or 14 in this one. Yeah, that seems pretty safe. By the way, the Clyde Edwards-Alaire is plus 310 at FanDuel right now for an anytime touchdown. So that's some pretty good value there, especially if you want to parlay it with something else as well. You can really get some good juice on that. All right, so I got to ask you, more painful loss. The 2018 AFC title game, which was the coin toss game, and of course, D4 to being offside or losing to Brady in the Super Bowl when Brady went to Tampa. Because I look at this like, this Chiefs team is already a dynasty if they bank one of those wins, right? Like, they already have three in the bag. But which one was more painful for a Chiefs fan? I, my, my guess would be the AFC title game, but w- what was it for you? Absolutely. Yeah, especially with the offside stuff this week, it's brought up some memories again with, with D4 being offside. There's no question it's that uh, that game. Because also, you have to understand, at that time, Chiefs fans were excited about Mahomes, but they hadn't won one yet. Like, we weren't aware that, you know, in Kansas City that they were going to go and and host five straight AFC title games, four more after that or whatever. So that was more painful. They hadn't won anything yet. And you're thinking as a Chiefs fan, oh, man, this was our chance, right? You're not going to go back. I think that's how Chiefs fans were thinking. And the way the Super Bowl played out, that was more like at halftime, 
that game was over, you know? And so I think, you know, you were able to come to grips with that game. It was a domination. The O-line was a disaster and injuries left and right. So I think sometimes in sports, those blowouts, they're just easier games to get over than a, you know, tightly contested overtime game where you lose the coin toss and then D Ford is offsides on a pick and, and all. And then, the, you know, that, that's the kind of stuff that I think any sports fan will haunt you for the rest of your life. Yeah, times are changing, though, man. I mean, the Royals beating out the Red Sox in the Seth Lugo sweepstakes, if we can call that a sweepstakes. <laughs> but, hey, before we let you go, who's the team that, like, sort of, not just this year, because obviously Burrow's out with the injury, but who's, like, the AFC team that scares you the most going forward? Yeah, so if we're not just talking this year, it's still Cincinnati big picture. I think they, the, the Bengals surpassed the Bills after playing since the in two straight AFC title games and all of those matchups have been so close, three point margins of victory. And so, yeah, it's Cincinnati and it's in heck, honestly, it might be even more that this year than we think the chiefs play them on new year's Eve and Jake Browning's playing well, the chiefs need that yeah. game. Cincinnati is going to need that game as well. So even without Burrow, I still think it has that the bills, despite them beating the chiefs this past week, they, they've beaten the chiefs in the regular season. Plenty. It's been the playoffs where they can't win. So chiefs fans, it, it, Cincinnati's the, the bigger threat. For most Chiefs fans, there's a feeling that, you know, unless Buffalo ends up making the playoffs, that they might have to reset some things a little bit there in Buffalo as well anyway. I know it's crazy. I mean, their coach is giving crazy pregame speeches or whatever it was, training camp speeches. But it's wild to think they may not make the playoffs. And they got to play the Cowboys this week, which is no easy game. Yeah, Yeah, I I would be worried about them this year in the playoffs just because, like, I don't know. I I feel like the Chiefs aren't as good as they've been in previous years. Obviously, the Bengals thing. And look, maybe in a weird way, they rally behind their coach, which is just bizarre to think about, like, after the comments that he made. Yeah, but you know, like, what you said about the AFC, and that's why even in here in Kansas City, we've been talking, despite this clearly not being as good of an offense and team, there's not a juggernaut in the AFC. You know, a year ago, you still had Cincinnati. You'd be like, okay, they're... Like, and the Ravens have a chance to change everybody's mind if they win out, which I don't think they're going to, but based on their schedule, if Lamar's playing at an MVP level, then you're like, okay, they're the team to beat. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. And so it's wide open, the AFC. The Chiefs have their flaws, but I think you go through each team, certainly the division leaders, every one of them has a flaw. And the Chiefs did beat the Dolphins and the Jags earlier this season. So it, it still, to me, is a wide open deal, um, and it's going to be a really fun postseason. Yeah, you're right. And that's another similarity to the 18 Patriots where they were 11 and five. Like they weren't even that from a Patriots perspective, they weren't great that season, right? Where they lost to the Titans. They lost to the Detroit Lions. They weren't a great team. And then somehow down the stretch of the season, like Sony Michelle was really good for them. They ran the ball. The defense was good. They had the unbelievable win in Kansas City. But that wasn't like a vintage Patriots dynastic team that we saw. Like that was probably the worst team of the group that won the Super Bowl. So this you're right. Like without Joe Burrow. The Bills are down a little bit. Like, yeah, you're right. You don't really fear anybody. So maybe they pull off this one, which would be probably the most impressive one if they actually do win the Super Bowl this year. All right, that is Alex Gold, the host of Cody and Gold on 610 Sports in Kansas City. Alex, great catching up, man. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Hey, thanks. You do the same. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there for my buddy Alex Gold from 610 in Kansas City. Joining us now, it is producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. Jamie, what do you think about the thing that me and Alex have in common from our days in Houston? <laughs> Both getting robbed at gunpoint. I can't remember. Yeah. Have I brought that up on the pod before? I don't remember you saying that. Holy shit, man. That must have been scary. Yeah, I mean, it was scary. I, I was freaked out for a couple of days. Yeah. Went to the ATM and then I feel a gun on the back of my head. I'm like, oh boy, this is not on the great. back of your head. They actually touch. Yeah, the guys like, yeah, the guys Jesus. tell me empty, and I'm like, dude, like I didn't say dude, obviously, because I was shitting my pants. I'm like, I can't. Like I have a limit. I can only take out a certain amount of money. 
Luckily, the bank like refunded me the next day. This guy that actually robbed me at gunpoint, they caught him. Not that time though. Yeah. He he did it to seven different people. So he got for how long? I one believe night? it's seven counts of armed burglary or whatever it was, and then he got one count of I want to say attempted murder because he shot a guy. He's, like he shot one of the guys. Yeah. Luckily, I didn't get. Sh- I mean, obviously, I didn't get shot, but one of the guys got shot. Crazy uh, man. He's probably yeah. not getting out of jail anytime Crazy. soon, man. But yeah, like Alex got to Houston a couple, I would say like two years maybe after me, and we were buddies there, and like he got robbed at gunpoint. I'm like, man, I've been there. Like it, ha- it happened to me recently. <laughs> I remember one of our other friends is like, hey, you should talk to Barrett about this. I'm like, yeah, it's scary, but yeah, it's good after that. It happened on May the 13th, Friday the 13th. Oh, spooky. How about that? All right, well, enough of the. Um, Getting robbed at gunpoint talk. Let's I'm get to some survived. more interesting things. All right, before we get to our picks, though, Jamie, I just want to mention this. So Alex Spear reported that the Red Sox, and I mentioned this yesterday about possibly going after some of the pitchers on uh-huh. the Mariners. They were like, yeah, we're good. We're not making any trades. So it doesn't look like the Mariners are going to trade. Now, maybe if they get overwhelmed with an offer, they will. But that stinks from a Red Sox perspective because that was another avenue to get a starting pitcher. The one good thing is Glass now is out of the division. He gets yeah. traded to the Dodgers. But... As our buddy Lou Merloni pointed out on Twitter, he said, usually the Rays win these trades. So it's probably going to end up working <laughs> true, out for true. the Rays in the long run. But I do like the fact that they don't have to face Glass now this season because that guy's awesome. But that's your little hot stove update. Not Red Sox related, but or excuse me, not Red Sox, but Red Sox adjacent. Okay. Right. So let's get into our bets of the week. Thanks to our friends at FanDuel. So we'll start with the Patriots and the Chiefs. So Zeke was effective as a receiver last week, 8 of 72, Mm -hmm. running the ball, not so much. We talked about that with Alex. And the Chiefs defense, we talked about too, in terms of they stink against the run, 31st and rush EPA, but they're really good against the pass. They can get after the quarterback. And I don't want this game to be put on Zappy if I'm trying to win, although like it's weird because we're talking about like keys to the game, so to speak. But Zappy, I could see him. I think he's going to throw a pick in this game. Veteran defense, Steve Spagnuolo, they have a good secondary there as well. They can get after the quarterback. So I think he's going to throw an interception despite the fact the Chiefs only have seven on the season. Only the Packers, the Eagles, and the Commanders, and also the Titans have fewer. Seven is the same as the Patriots. But Zappi, he had a bad one last week, as we've mentioned, and we talked about that after the game with James White. That was a bad pick. I feel like he's going to throw a pick. So even though I know Alex wasn't confident about this, I think that the Chiefs are going to cover that eight and a half. But here's the bet I really like. So that's not something I would play. Mm -hmm. Juju Smith-Schuster's line, receiving line, is 18 and a half. Because all the other guys are coming back, right? Like Parker and Demario Douglas are expected to play. How about an alternate line for Juju Smith-Schuster? 40 receiving yards plus 350. I just feel like the value is too juicy on that. Like, Juju was good last week, so why wouldn't he get playing time this week, right? Like, I get getting Demario Douglas action. But I'd give Juju some opportunities after the way he played last week. And maybe Belichick, who we know is trying to win games, looks at it and says, hey, it's his, another one of his former teams. We just saw what he did against the Steelers. Although there's not as much as a revenge factor because he won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs. But I think Juju is is gonna definitely going to go over 18 and a half. And maybe I'll look like an idiot when we record yeah. on Sunday with James White. But I like that alternate 40 receiving yards for plus 350. I just like the value, man. I mean, the fact that you can get plus 350 for 40 receiving yards. Yeah. And, you know, your top free agent wide receiver is crazy. And um, he went for 90 last week. It's true. I mean, the only thing I'd say is this team has absolutely no consistency 
every week is different. Who gets the ball? I mean, anyways, even in good years, that happened with the Patriots. But, I mean, like you said, yeah, plus 350 for 40 yards. Yeah, that's a great investment, I'd say. All right, so what do you got for the game, Jamie? Uh, honestly, Alex, Alex scared me a little bit. I think he might have just been... Uh, you know, worried about last week against the Bills, but I think I think pass plus eight and a half seems like pretty good value. Plus eight and a half is so many points. I looked it up. They have only covered that spread once in the past six games. Granted, they weren't playing the Patriots every week, so they might have covered that by more times. But it seems like two. I'm not going to say similar offenses because we're not Chiefs, obviously, but two really good defenses. So yeah, plus eight and a half is just a lot of points, more than a touchdown. So I don't know. I like that well enough. And you mentioned Zeke against them. I feel like the only way. They could get anything against the Chiefs would be to run the ball, and his plus his over under is sixty two and a half yards. So I feel like he could go over. I know you mean he actually he wasn't that uh, successful on the ground, but he got the ball a lot. He got like eighteen times. So yeah, I think you have a good point just from the volume perspective. Yeah, like they don't they don't really have a running back besides Zeke. So just from like a volume area, you would expect that he's going to have a big opportunity there to be able to sort of dominate this right. this game in terms of the carries. Like, and as long as they're in the game, even if he's not running the ball efficiently like last week, he's going to get a lot of carries. So I actually, I do like that bet because if he gets like 25, 26 carries, then he's Average going to have an opportunity yards, yeah. to go over that number. Actually, let me bring up FanDuel right now and I'll look at what his, what his attempts is at because oh, I, I, I assume is it. I checked it earlier. It's like 18 or something, which was a bit too high for me to touch. Yeah. How many did he have last week? Do you know? He had 22 carries last week. Yeah, so I think he could go over that. I guess he like could. the the game situation is going to dictate some of that, right? Like based on, hey, if if the Chiefs get up yeah. 14 points, you may not run the ball as much. But if the Patriots keep this game close, I think he's yeah. definitely, I think the 18 and a half may be a good bet too. Like, because you, who you, else is going to get carries, right? You said he's like our only back. Like, I, who is our back or running back right now? I have no idea if they're even dressing another running back. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Uh, last week, who who was out there? Kevin I mean, Harris I just, or I? I just checked. No one else got any carries apart from Zappy and uh, Zeke. We're the only two guys with any rushing yards. I I'm pretty sure that Kevin Harris was dressed last week. Right, they have to have someone. Yeah, I think Kevin Harris was uh, dressed last week. So, but I mean the the big point is he's getting the ball. It's, it's going to be a lot easier. Oh, Montgomery was out there too because remember he caught a pass. Well, they just cut him. Yeah, I I forgot he was on the team until last week. Right. I remember yeah, he got so like got, blown up catching a punt a few weeks ago. It was the only time I saw him. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I maybe I like the maybe I like the carries more, the 18 yeah. and a half attempts. I mean, I guess yeah, and Monk like as you said, Montgomery no longer there. So yeah, maybe I like the attempts more depending on like the game flow, so to speak. But I like that. I like thinking about Zeke there. That's a good one. I hope my I feel like now I'm gonna look like an idiot for the Juju thing. It's just like he gets like one target in the game. <laughs> I mean it could something. easily happen, but plus three fifty, I, I hear you. You might as well go for it. All right, so let's move on to some other stuff. I have a money leg parlay. This is for okay. plus two eighty two. And it starts on Saturday. Remember, we have three games on Saturday because of course the college football Fine. season is over. Last week, we only had the Army-Navy game. I actually wish we had a game after Army-Navy, right? Like, that was the only football we had last week. So I would have wished that we got more football last week. But it's cool that we have three Saturday games. So starting on Saturday for my money leg parlay, I like the Bengals to beat the Vikings. Now you have a quarterback change in Minnesota where oh, yeah. now it's Mullins in, who isn't very good either. Dobbs out. 
Josh Dobbs is out. And then Jake Browning for the Bengals, 9.1 yards per attempt, second in the NFL among qualifiers. And look, lower volume than most of these guys. He's completing 75.5% of his passes, second, 110.9 passer rating, which is second. So I like the Bengals in that game. I like the Rams to beat the Commanders. The Rams are a team that's obviously fighting for a playoff spot right now. I like the Niners to beat the Cardinals. I think that's for obvious reasons. And here's where it gets sort of juiced up to the plus 282, the Falcons to beat the Panthers. Because the Falcons, that was an ugly game last week for them. But the Panthers stink, man. They're not good. They have one win. From a selfish Patriots perspective, I wish the Panthers would win. But for the money leg parlay, I'm going to say the Falcons win this game. So that's plus 282, which I think is pretty good value for that four-legger. And now I just hope that it doesn't lose on Saturday because then I don't look forward to anything on Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it will. I think those first three are pretty safe, at least on paper, obviously. But yeah, I mean, the Falcons won. That's actually one of my picks because I'm the same way. I can't believe they're underdogs. I mean, I think me and you both have been watching a a strange amount of Panthers just because of the draft stocks. I actually watched a fair amount of them. And like you said, they're just fucking terrible. I mean, it's, it's painful watching Bryce Young try to move the ball. So I don't know why the Falcons aren't favored. It's either not any good either, but... Panthers are the worst team I've ever seen, basically. So I hear you on that. I, I like the Falcons <laughs> ever? plus three. Remember the Colts? Well, who was the team that didn't win a game? The Lions? Remember that team? Yeah, I think it was. When Dan Orlovsky was running out of the end zone? <laughs> I still think that Colts team, that they ended up getting Andrew was Luck. the Caldwell one? Yeah, that team was horrible. Curtis Painter was playing. Remember they that guy? Oh, my God. Curtis Painter. That guy was one of the worst player quarterbacks I've ever seen. But, yeah, I mean, it's a fair <laughs> argument. The Panthers stink. They're terrible. Well, their offense might be terrible. I mean, coming from a Patriots fan. But still, they literally they can't move the ball. So I, I, I hear you. I don't know why the Falcons are, are underdogs. So you might as well go for that. All right. So another. Th- so do you have, an, do you have another uh, Saturday one or a Sunday one? Uh, I, yeah, I do. I got, I got one more. I got... I told you off the air, but my boy, Tommy DeVito, I'm, I'm jumping on the train, jumping on the bandwagon. And again, it's it's not going to last forever, so I'm going to have some fun with it while it lasts with Tommy Cutlets. But uh, I like it. Plus 420 for an anytime touchdown, Brian. A little juicy. Now, Wait, you think he, he has one in? You think he runs he, one in? He hasn't been in the end zone like that. He had one his first game he played this year, and then he hasn't had any the last five weeks. But last week, 10 rushes for 70 yards. So, you know, he can zoom around, obviously. So I, yeah. I like one. I think he can get yeah, in there. Athletic. Yeah, he's athletic. I watched him when he was playing for Syracuse. Then he went to Illinois, played for former Syracuse assistant or former Patriots assistant coach Brett Bielema there. I wish I could like get on the DeVito hype train because, <laughs> well, for a Why couple not? of reasons. Obviously, he played at my alma mater, Syracuse, which is awesome. Sean Stellato is agent that was all over TV. He's a local guy. He's from Salem. I remember right. growing up going to the Salem oh, State yeah. basketball camp. He was a camp counselor there. He played, he played Division One football at Maris. He's a legend. <laughs> he was like an unbelievable athlete in, in Salem. But I can't do it because it's the Giants, right? If he was yeah. on any other team, like if it wasn't if it wasn't the Bills, Dolphins, or Jets, like the division teams, or I hate the Ravens too just the because Giants. that was it's true. But, you see, but it's the Giants, man. They yeah. ruined the perfect season and all that. So I can't root for them. I can't, even though like I should be okay rooting for I can't do it, man. I, I cannot do it. I'm... I cannot root for DeVito, even though he played for Syracuse. I can't do it. Uh, I'm surprising myself. I don't. I can't believe I'm rooting for the Giants. They're they're probably my most hated team, honestly. So I don't know what I'm doing now. Now I feel bad. You made me feel bad. But <laughs> all I could say is they look okay. I mean, they're on a three game win streak, and I thought they actually looked good against the Packers. But now you made me feel bad. It is the Giants, but I already said it, so I'm stuck with it now. 
You know what I do like about the Giants? The unis, man. I don't know why they, some of these teams go, like we talk about the Path of Patriot all the time, but those uniforms are classic. The ones they wore on Monday night where it says Giants on the helmet. It's like yeah. a little different shade of blue that they have. It's the same ones they wore in the little Giants, man. Like I love those <laughs> uniforms. So that's the one thing I do love about the Giants is the uniforms. Now they have the nice like red piping on the sleeves. And yeah, that, I think those are the yeah. uniforms they won their Super Bowls with, with Belichick and uh, what's his face? Bill Parcells. Yeah, Belichick getting carried off the field. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Jamie, before we go, Suckfest, we kind of updated this with some of my picks. But Carolina, as I mentioned, Falcons, winnable, mm-hmm. but I don't see it, obviously, by the way that I picked my games. Arizona, Niners, don't see it. Commanders, Rams, don't see it. I mean, if you're going to rank who has the best chance, Panthers. I would probably say Carolina. Although, I, you know, like the Suckfest, I, I don't think any of these teams win in the Suckfest Derby this week. Which is a good, I mean, I don't, as long as the Patriots lose, we're good. Uh, yeah, this doesn't seem our way to move up or down in the rankings. Maybe maybe the, what's it called? I could, uh, commanders are pretty bad, though. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to go out and make any sort of take. They're all going to lose. Okay, so before we go, Jamie, so I was doing Callahan's podcast, and we were doing what ifs, like what if part of mm. the Patriots season. So I brought two of them up. One of them was what if they signed DeAndre Hopkins, because Hopkins this season is at what is it now he's at 898 receiving yards which is 16th in the nfl not bad patriots leading receiver demario douglas is 85th at 410 born is second still 86th at 406 and he's been injured for a while so deandre hopkins we all knew that he would have been their best receiver and then what if gonzalez and judon didn't go down in that dallas game because if you look at the patriots defense we talked about it they're first in Basically, every statistical category against the run except yards per game. We're talking about Mm. success rate, EPA per play, yards per attempt. They're first across the board. The one thing they don't do, they're at 26 sacks, which is 28th, and pressure rate is 22nd, so they don't get after the quarterback, and they're 23rd in dropback EPA. Well, what would have changed that if they actually had their best corner, Christian Gonzalez, who looks like he's going to be a star, even though he hasn't played a ton, but he looked awesome like in some of the games that he played. And Matthew Judon's their best pass rusher. Like, we were talking about Matthew Judon still being the leading sacker on the team like eight or nine weeks into the season, right? So my point with that is, Callahan brought this back to me. I said, what if they had these two guys, right? Like, what if they had signed Hopkins, but what if these guys never get injured? And he's like, what do you think they, what version is better? If they sign Hopkins or if these two guys just stay healthy? And I said, if these guys stay healthy, because I think they win a couple more games. But the conclusion that we both came to is... If those guys played, and look, you feel bad, like it's a shoulder injury for uh, shoulder injury for Christian Gonzalez, right? Yeah. And it's, a, what was it, a bicep injury for Judon, right? Mm-hmm. I'm forgetting because the season has been such a blur of, <laughs> yeah, well, it was, though. of suck, right? But my point with that is just, I think they would have gotten to like five or five wins or so, or six wins. And in the long run, that would have been bad for the team because maybe it's like Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi are battling for the quarterback position next year instead of this Patriots team actually drafting one, right? So like in the long run and like stinks that, you know, you have to have surgery and all that. Like I feel bad that these guys got injured, but in the long run, it maybe is what bet is best for the team because you come back next year and you have Gonzalez and you have Judon and mm-hmm. you have Barmore, who we talked about with Zach Cox, has taken a step forward. I love Jabril Peppers. Hopefully, a, Zach thinks they'll bring back Duggar. Then, okay, you have the bones of a pretty good yeah, defense. Solid. Now it's about the quarterback and getting a legitimate, bona fide number one receiver. But I actually think, like, 
if you take a step back and take a long-term view of the organization, Judon and Gonzalez getting injured actually clarified for that for you even more. It's an interesting question. I mean, I, I agree with you in terms of bottoming out will benefit them in the long run. It seemed like it killed us going seven and nine, eight and eight, and then getting Cole Stranges and stuff like that didn't work. I when you when you brought up these two things though, my initial gut reaction was like yours that they would have won more games with Gonzalez and Judon, but <laughs> I don't know. It's like the defense has been pretty great recently, and they're still losing, True. right? <laughs> like they give up no, ten points a... a game, they lose. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. That's a good point. They still probably would have blown the game somehow. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe they're better getting after the quarterback, which forces some more turnovers or something, you know, like something along those lines. And but you're probably right. Maybe they still probably stick around the same thing. But oh, holy shit. Holy shit, Jamie. I'm sorry to just like bring this up out of nowhere. So we're recording late. It's right now 1058. And I look up. Jesus. And right now. The Raiders have 63 points. The Dolphins scored 70, right? That's obviously the yeah. record, or this season, the this record. Season. The highest scoring team. This uh, Nobody scored more than 70. The Raiders are going to put up, like, this is definitely Staley's Oof. last game, right? Like, by the time this pod comes out, when most people are listening to it, Staley's got to be fired. Short week. This is th- It's 63 to That's 7. Crazy. There's 14 minutes left in the fourth quarter, and it's 63 to 7. The Raiders, correct me if I'm wrong, they got shut out last week. Didn't they lose 3 to nothing? <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, or I'm almost 100%. I want to say 100%, but I'm not 100% yeah, sure. I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah. How does this team have 63 points? This is embarrassing. If you want to talk about a team quitting, Brandon Staley's team is certainly quitting this. Yeah. They lost. Let me see here. The Raiders. Yeah, they lost to the Vikings 3 0 last week. Ugly. <laughs> now they have 63 points. Staley is done. like some some bad blood between the two teams. The Raiders must fucking hate Staley and the Chargers for some reason. I mean, here's a question. You, yeah, let's hear it. Do they let Staley do the press conference or prior <laughs> before he even goes to speak to the media? I might have to tune in and watch that press conference. I mean, honestly, it might be a little bad. <laughs> it might be a good place to get fired. Just hang out in Vegas. Like, yeah, hey, he's made yeah. a lot of money, right? He's an NFL Dangerous. coach. Dangerous. Though. Going a fucking bender. There's worse places than to get fired in Vegas. Although that could bring up some bad things like hanging out in vegas after you get fired but <laughs> yeah, holy crap place. so i just had to bring I, i'm amazed that they have 63 points like this is this is wild brian like they're they're you mentioned they did like a trick play with jacoby myers and they're up 50 points for a touchdown like what does that say about what, what are they trying to do here you know yeah jacoby myers has a touchdown reception and he has a touchdown pass he had a great catch that was a great catch i saw our buddy doug kide tweeted out Brandon Lloyd vibes. Brandon Lloyd right. had awesome hands. He was a different type of guy, weird guy, but he was good for the Patriots. He was good where he, he was had great guy. hands. Not a fast guy, but it was a good comparison by Doug. But anyway, I had to mention that before he left because this is just wild. And by the time most of you listen to this podcast, I assume that Brandon Staley is going to get his walking papers or will have already gotten his walking papers. Lane Kiffin situation, like leave him behind, don't let him on the plane type thing. I think we're going to see that here with Brandon Staley. Brian, quick trivia question for you. Do you, okay. First of all, do you know who Easton Stick is? Yeah, he is South Dakota or North Dakota, South Dakota State. He was FCS guy, right? Look at that, Brian. That was my second question was, do you know who he is? Which I figured you probably did. And then where did he go to college? He went to North Dakota State. So North Dakota State, okay. Easton yeah. Stick, though. That's not a guy who's going to win many football games based on his name. No. Herbert's done. He's dealing with it. I wonder if Herbert gets traded or if... 
I mean, obviously, they're going to try to get a new coach. They gave him an extension, but Phil was talking about this on his podcast. I mean, you could get, like, a first-round pick, but someone I think Bill was talking about, like, I don't think I'm trading the number one overall pick for Herbert, frankly. Would you trade, if you're the Patriots, would you trade the number three pick for Herbert? You could you could convince me to do that. I'd say no to two. Like, I'd get one of the two rookies, but if you're not going to get a quarterback, yeah. I would do it, too, because... I like Jaden Daniels. I don't like him, obviously, as much as Justin Herbert. And Herbert's a proven quarterback in the league. Even if he hasn't won the big game, I, I would trade that. Now, obviously, you'd have to give yeah, up Harrison. something else in the deal. Yeah. yeah, you'd have to give something up in that deal as well, other than that. But I would do that if the Patriots... If like My thing is I want Drake May, as I've made it abundantly clear on this. But if you don't, and you can, as the main piece of the deal, give up the third pick for Herbert, I'd do it. I don't know. He can throw the ball really hard, I guess. I'm just, I'm just surprised... How much hype he gets. They just they don't win a lot of football games. Yeah, it's true. It just I don't know. It's tough for me because he's just been so poorly coached and the team around him is not great. Yeah. That doesn't help. Yeah, so lose out. Let's get Drake May. Let's go. All right, Jamie. Good stuff, man. Brian, thank you. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in. 617-396-7172. We'll be with you on Sunday after the Patriots and the Celtics. James White will join us. You can email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.